All right, church, Romans chapter 5. Uh, we pick up in verse number 6. Oh, it has been so many weeks for us to get to this point. I'm so excited to, to look at this section of Scripture with you guys this morning. In our text this morning, we're going to see the character of God's love. In fact, this passage uh, discusses God's unbelievable love. And in revealing and detailing His unbelievable love, it also reveals to us the great depth of our justification. So verse number 6 says, for while, we will st- for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So here in this one verse, we can see four truths about the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. First of all, I'd highlight the fact that Jesus died when we were helpless. It means that we were without strength. We were weak. We were useless. We were hopeless, destitute, powerless. We were spiritually separated from God. We were alienated from the Father and had no ability to change that reality for ourselves. And so Christ died when we were helpless. Number two, He died for the ungodly. It says that God is holy, He is perfect, He is pure, and we are not. Not at all. Not even on our best days apart from Him. We don't even come close. So, so Christ died when we were helpless. He died when we were ungodly. And then notice how Jesus died at the right time. The right time refers both to the time in history as well as uh, the timing in God's salvific plan for humanity. Galatians chapter 4 says it like this, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now this helps us to understand that in the face of our powerlessness, God was fully in control. The events of human history did not determine the plan of salvation. No, the the plan of salvation was designed and determined by God, and it was designed and determined to unfold at just the right time. So Jesus died when we were helpless. Jesus died when we were ungodly. Jesus died at the right time. And then notice how Jesus died for us. That Greek word that we translate as for is the Greek word hooper. That means that He died for our benefit. He died for our sake. Christ died on our behalf as our substitute. Which means when we see other places in Scripture, places like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we see that Jesus, His death, He died as a sacrifice. There it says, for Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. So Jesus died not only as our sacrifice, He died as our ransom. Mark chapter 10 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. 
So he, he dies as a sacrifice. He dies as our ransom. And then notice he also dies as our propitiation. Or that's just a, another way of saying that he died as the payment or the appeasement for our sin. First John chapter 2, verse number 2 says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So, having seen these four truths about the death of our Lord and Savior, I want you to notice the uniqueness of His love. Look at the very next verse, in verse number 7. There it says, For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. Think about the illustration that's just given. Very few people would sacrifice their own lives on behalf of a righteous, a good, or a generous person. But but Jesus gave His life at the right time on our behalf while we were helpless and while we were ungodly. And then in verse number 8, it says, but God demonstrates His own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for those whom no one would even dare to die. Christ died for those who were directly opposed to His Father. Christ died for those who were the very opposite of all He was and is. Christ died. The death of Jesus continually displays both the unbelievable love of God and the complete depth of our justification by faith. Think about it. Think about the enormous price that, that, that God paid in demonstrating His love towards us. God gave up His Son to die for the ungodly and the unworthy. God gave up His Son to die for the wicked and the depraved. God gave up His Son to die for the worst sinner imaginable. I mean, have you really thought about that? Have you given great consideration into what was involved for God to give up His Son? Think about it. God sent His Son out of the spiritual and the eternal world and into a physical and temporary world. Not only that, God humiliated His Son. He humiliated His Son by stripping Him of His eternal glory and clothing Him with corruptible flesh. Then He watched His Son walk through life constantly being rejected, denied, cursed, Mocked, arrested, tortured, and ultimately murdered. God watched His Son get executed by the hands of His creation, all the while knowing that He could stop it at any moment and never does. Because God destined His Son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Which means that God laid all of the sin of all of humanity upon His Son and then condemned His Son to die. God judged His Son. 
the, the perfect and pure Jesus Christ. God judged His Son as sinner and then condemned Him to death. And in that condemnation, He turned His back on His only begotten Son. And He cast His wrath against His Son. God did all of that. God went to great lengths to prove His love. A love that we do not deserve. Not a single one of us deserve that kind of love. We never have. We never will. But God loves us with an unbelievable love. In reading and preparation for this, I came across uh, this statement from, from John MacArthur, and I love what he says about this. He says, The God who hates every sinful thought and every sinful deed, nevertheless, loves the sinners who think and do those things, even while they are still hopelessly enmeshed in their sin. Even when men openly hate God and do not have the least desire to give up their sin, they are still objects of God's redeeming love as long as they live. Only at death does an unbelievable cease to be loved by God. After that, He is eternally beyond the pale of God's love and is destined irrevocably by His wrath. In Christ, we are forever linked to God by His love. I mean, only in death are they separated from the love of God. And why is it that, that we, this, this is just a side note, why is it that we are so quick to write off other people? Why is it that we are so quick to stand in condemnation of others and think, oh, well, they're so far removed in, or they're so far enmeshed in their sin that, that the love of God is no longer available for them. And we, we take that attitude by, by our actions. We take that attitude by, by, by not sharing the gospel with the people who are in desperate need of it. We, we take that attitude by just writing people off and no longer having anything to do with them in sharing or displaying the love of God. As long as they draw breath, there is an opportunity for a sinner to come into repentance and to be restored in a renewed faith and walk with Jesus Christ. We should never give up on people. Always be willing to, to surrender our lives and to share the gospel with them. I want you to notice in verse number 9. Verse number 9, it says, Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him, through Jesus. And there is a sense in which our salvation occurs in stages. I know I've shared this many times, and I'll continue to emphasize it. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And justification occurs at the moment that we believe. At that point of our belief, our confession of Jesus Christ, our surrender unto Him, at that point, we are brought into a state of salvation. But our salvation is still yet to be finalized. As long as we draw breath, we grow through the daily process of our sanctification. 
That, that's the being made into the likeness, into the characteristics of our Lord. And then ultimately, at our death, we receive the glorification that's to come. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul tells us that Jesus saves us from the wrath that is to come. There it says, and, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. You see, God has promised that there will come a day when sin will be completely and finally judged. And on that day, He will manifest and He will fully express His holy indignation. He will fully display His righteous anger against sin. But for those who are born in Christ, not only are we presently justified, but we are assured that we will be uh, saved from the wrath that is to come. And so, verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled through, to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So, those who are reconciled by their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So those who are reconciled were, were the ones who were at one point considered to be enemies of God. But now they've been brought into a relationship of peace with God. Three points. Let me make three quick points about this uh, word reconciliation. Three things for us to consider. First of all, the thing that broke the relationship between God and man is the thing that we call sin. Notice that we are said to be enemies of God. The, the verse says, while we were enemies. The enemies refer back to uh, the sinners and the ungodly from verses 6 and 8. This simply means, and let me clearly state, that every person is an enemy of God. Because every person is a sinner and is ungodly. I know that might sound cruel. It might sound unkind or even harsh. But that is exactly what the Scripture tells us about who we are. We are guilty. Every one of us. Guilty and worthy of condemnation because we have all rebelled against God. We've rejected Him. We've ignored Him. We've disobeyed both His Word and His will. And when we sin, we work against God and we promote evil by our words or our actions. Everyone born is born as an enemy of God. Number two, the way that we are reconciled to God is by the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. So in the simplest of terms, when someone believes in Jesus, when they submit and surrender their lives unto Him, God accepts the death of Jesus for the death of that person. God accepts the sin that was borne by Jesus upon the cross as the sins committed by that person. God accepts the condemnation borne by the Savior as the condemnation due to that person. Therefore, 
because of their faith and trust in Jesus, that person becomes acceptable unto God. They become acceptable unto God, and they become reconciled to Him forever. And notice the thing that reconciles us to God is accomplished in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. So, the thing that broke the relationship between God and man is sin. And the way that we are reconciled to God is by the death of His Son. And then number three, I want you to realize that God is the one who reconciles, not men. We do not, in fact, we cannot reconcile ourselves unto God. Which is another way of saying that there's nothing that we can do on our own in order to become acceptable to the Father. Reconciliation is entirely an act of God. God is the one who reaches out. God is the one who initiates. God is the one who reconciles us unto Himself. Just so you don't think it's just me sharing my personal opinion about that statement, I want to show you what Scripture has to say. Listen to how Paul writes about this in his letter to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse number 18. He says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. So who's doing the reconciliation? God. God is the one that's doing that. He's not counting their trespasses against them, And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Man, think about what that means. As a child of God, you are an, an ambassador to God. You're, you're His ambassador. And, and God is making His appeal through us to the world so that they might submit and surrender their lives unto the Savior to be reconciled with the Father. Now back to Romans 5. Verse number 10. There it picks up and it says, Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Jesus' death accomplishes our reconciliation with God. And His life, and we're talking about His present resurrection life, His life guarantees and completes our final salvation. It's the guarantee that that salvation will be secured and finalized. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 25, we discover that therefore He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, through Jesus, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus interceding on our behalf. Jesus standing before God. And as He stands before God, He stands as the the sinless and righteous Son of God. He stands as the ideal and perfect man. When we believe in Christ, God takes our belief and counts it as righteousness. In fact, He counts it as 
the ideal righteousness of Jesus. And that covers us. Therefore, God accepts us and, and He saves us because of our belief in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the love, that unbelievable love that, that caused Jesus to die is the same love that sends the Holy Spirit to indwell the life of believers. And the power that raised Christ from the dead, and that is the same power that saves us and enables us to walk in perfect obedience, to walk fully submitted and surrendered unto His Word and to His will. I said to walk in, how about to strive for perfect obedience is probably a better way to say that. If God has the power and the will to redeem us in the first place, then how much more does He have the power and the will to keep us redeemed? In other words, if the dying Savior reconciles us to God, then a living Savior can and will keep us reconciled unto the Father. So not only is our future salvation assured, but we can rejoice in God right here, right now. Verse number 11. There it says, And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So reconciliation is not something that happens in the distant future. No, in the future, we receive, as children of God, we receive our glorification. We will ultimately be made perfect. But until then, we remain imperfect. We'll still stumble. We'll fall from time to time. That's why we remain in this process of sanctification, growing ever so more and more and more in Christ-like obedience. And you understand and hope you realize that even the most committed believer will struggle with faithfulness and obedience. There may be even times of apparent unfruitfulness in their lives. However, to the one whose life is marked with constant unfruitfulness, for the one whose life is marked with constant rebellion against both the Word and the will of God, that person ought to give serious consideration to the painful truth that they may not truly belong to the Father. Now for those who have submitted and have surrendered their lives unto our Lord, your reconciliation has already been secured because you receive that the moment you believe in the Son. And this reflects both the past, the present, and also our future salvation. And so with that realization, we can exalt and rejoice in how God has richly blessed us. Any blessed people here today? We're great. One. Any awake people here today? You're all blessed. 
Man, it says we should exalt and rejoice in how God has richly blessed us. Maybe we need to wake up and be alerted to understand how God has richly blessed us. Even, let's look at this chapter, verse number 1. We should rejoice and exalt because through Him we have peace with God. We have peace. We're no longer condemned. We no longer have to dread the wrath that's going to be poured out. We have peace with God. Verse number 2 says, Through Him we have grace and the hope of glory. Anybody thankful for the grace of God today? I am. Through Him we have perseverance. Verses 3 and 4. We have perseverance, proven character, and the hope. The hope of salvation. The hope of what's to come. That it's accomplished because of the work of our Savior. Verse number 5. Through Him, God has poured His love into our hearts through His Spirit, who is Himself the Savior's gift to each and every one who believes. Through His death, We've been saved from the wrath of God. Verse number 9. Through His death, we've been reconciled with God the Father. Verse number 10. Which means that through Him, through Jesus and our, and our salvific relationship with Him, through Him we can rejoice in what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do for those who are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And so my encouragement to everyone today is to wake up to the realization of how God has richly blessed you. Live your lives with that awareness. Change your, your attitudes. Change your behavior. Change your conduct, con, conduct in order to rightly reflect just how much God has richly blessed you. For those that are here and you're, you're, you're walking in disobedience, your life is marked with constant disobedience to the Word of God, my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit would draw you unto the Father, knowing that God is the only one that reconciles. And plead on your behalf that God would reconcile you unto Him, that you would submit and surrender your life unto Him. And for all those who believe, the final plea, the final challenge, is now that you believe, now that you've experienced the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, now that you've received from the Father His Spirit that empowers and enables you to walk in faithful obedience to Him, now that you've been richly blessed by all of that, how will you serve Him? How will your life be marked by constant service unto Him? What is the ministry that God has put before you? How are you going to use the gift that the Holy Spirit has given to you for the glory of God? And if you don't know the answer to those questions, I beg you, come, let's talk. Talk with me. Talk with anybody else on the staff. Talk to one of our elders. Not that we have all the answers, but we definitely know where to turn to to find the answer for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for who You are what you've done. God, I thank you for 
for the life that you have blessed us with. God, there's still more time. Because you bless us with more time, which means that there's still more work that needs to be done. So Father, help us all to submit and surrender everything that we have unto you. We submit and surrender our lives. We submit and surrender our calendar. We submit and surrender our abilities. We submit and surrender our resources. We surrender all unto you, Father. God, I pray that in this moment of reflection, that your Spirit would guide each and every one of us. Sins to confess, decisions to be made, Whatever needs to happen in this moment, Father, I pray that you will just make it happen. Church, knowing that the altar is open, elders and staff are here at the front to talk with you and to pray with you. We're going to sing just a little bit. You can stand or you can sit. Take whatever posture you feel is necessary. But please know that the altar is open. Father, bless us during this time. May you receive all the glory that you're due. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.